You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Connection with the sermon this morning, I would invite you to open your Bibles to Judges chapter 16. We'll read the verses 18 through 31 about the end of the life of Samson. In these next few weeks of this time of the year of Advent, we will give our attention to some messiahs of the Old Testament, some of God's anointed who came to save God's people. This week we'll consider Samson, who came after 40 years of Philistine oppression over the Israelites. Next week we'll consider Saul, and then after that, Joash. And all of these were in different ways long-awaited messiah. And as we consider these messiahs, our attention will be drawn toward our long-awaited Messiah, the one that we await to come from the right hand of God to return to us in judgment and in salvation. And so let's read of Samson, of the end of his life, Judges 16 at verse 18. This comes in the, the middle of the narrative about Samson and Delilah, the woman who had Samson's heart and went on to take his hair as well, and he lost his strength. Let's read about that. When Delilah saw he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more, he has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. Having put him to sleep on her lap, she called a man to shave off the seven braids of his hair, and so began to subdue him, and his strength left him. Then she called, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to celebrate, saying, Our god has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their god, saying, Our god has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hand, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O Lord, please strengthen me just once more. And let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached toward the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. And he killed many more when he died than while he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshtaol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had led Israel 20 years. Our text this morning comes from the very beginning of Samson's life, Judges 13. 
Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for forty years. A certain man of Zorah, named Manoah, from the clan of the Danites, had a wife who was sterile and remained childless. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are sterile and childless, but you are going to conceive and have a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean, because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, You will conceive and give birth to a son. Now then, drink no wine or fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from birth until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, I beg you, let the man of God you sent to us come here again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, He's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, Are you the one who talked to my wife? I am, he said. So when Manoah asked him, When your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule for the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, Your wife must do all I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, or eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, We would like you to stay until we prepare a young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with a grain offering and sacrificed it on a rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was the angel of the Lord. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, If the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands nor shown us all these things, or told us, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir in him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what would it be like to know what the life of a child would bring? Maybe think of David's parents giving birth to yet another son, holding him in their arms, raising him, letting him go out and work as a shepherd, but having no idea that this son would grow up to become the king of Israel, 
a king after God's own heart. And really, no parents, or at least very, very few, have a child and know what that child will bring. No grandparents can look upon their grandchild and and know what the life of that child will bring. No teacher, no babysitter, look upon that child and know. But yet we wonder, don't we? We wonder. I remember holding our son when he was first born and and looking at him and wondering what his life would bring. How would the Lord use him? How might he serve the Lord? But really, I had no idea. And I have no idea. We don't know anything about them. We don't know how long they are going to live. We don't know what kind of personality they are going to have. We really know nothing. And not only do we often not know what the life of our child is going to bring, we often struggle with what to do in the meantime. How to raise them properly. And how to teach them effectively that they might go in the way that they should go in serving the Lord. Imagine then the situation that Manoah and his wife find themselves in. You have the angel of the Lord come and announce the birth of your son. That in itself is amazing to a sterile and childless couple. The birth of a son. And not only that, but the angel of the Lord tells them what this son is going to do. He is going to begin the salvation of Israel. How incredible would that message be to hear? What a day that was for Manoah and his wife. It was a day of expectation in the dark days of the judges. There wasn't a lot of good happening in those days. For 40 years, the people had been under bondage to the Philistines. It was a day of hope and the the moving of God's Spirit as soon as that child was born. It was a day, as we peer deeper into things, the events surrounding that day, it was a day of disappointment. As we see already in the announcement of his birth, before the, the boy has even been born, there is a lot of human weakness, folly, sinfulness going on. And yet, in spite of everything, it is a day of deliverance, and a promise of much, much more. So the question that we consider this morning is, with this announcement of the birth of a child, is this good news of great joy? As the angel of the Lord announces that a child is to be born in Zorah. Today, The angel announces, or one day, in Zorah, a Savior is born to you. It is, in the first place, a day of expectation. And that's because these days of the judges are dark days. It is a dark period in Israel's history. There were, as you know, in the Old Testament... If you've read that, if you have any sense, really, of what's going on in the Old Testament, you know that there were many dark days in Israel's history. 
though God's people, they did not always live like it. Many periods of their history were dark, but perhaps the period of the judges was the most depressing of all. There is this cycle of apostasy. Time after time, God saves them, they fall back into sin. God saves them, they fall back into sin. God saves them, they fall back into sin. Time after time, it's the same old cycle. You read about this cycle. You can flip to almost any judge in the book, the beginning of his life, and you'll read something about the the, the Israelites were living in apostasy. They were no longer serving the Lord. They were living in sin. And therefore, the Lord sent someone to oppress them. The Moabites, the Philistines, the Midianites, whoever it was at that time, the Lord sent someone to oppress them. And then following this time of discipline, then the people would cry out. They would ask God to save them. And upon hearing the cry of His people and having compassion on them, God would come to their deliverance. That's what happens with Othniel. That's what happens with Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, etc., But turn your attention to the first few verses of chapter 13 in Judges, and you see that things are going from bad to worse here. Verse 1, Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines forty years. Okay. Sin, punishment, what comes next? Repentance. There's no repentance. There's no verse 1b. There's no verse in there that says the Israelites cried out to God in the midst of their oppression. Now things have gotten so bad for the Israelites that they no longer realize when they are being punished by the Lord. They no longer turn to Him in repentance. Things are so bad that the Lord will not wait for them to turn to Him. He is going to send a deliverer to them Anyways, the Lord must work completely on His own initiative to save His people from their oppression. How often haven't God's people lived in dark times? In the time before the coming of the great Messiah, our Lord Jesus Christ, in the time before He came to this earth, the same human flesh that we have It was another dark time. It was a time of expectation. It was a time when the people were longing for change. They were longing, they they were full of hope. But the change that they were looking for and the hope that they had were completely misguided. They were not looking to the Lord to come and to change their hearts and renew their hearts for Him. They were looking for the removal of their oppression only. They did not want to serve the Lord. In our times, days which are in many ways dark, John in the New Testament speaks about the character of our world and says it is a dark world in which the light shines, but dark nonetheless. In our days, what sort of expectations do we live with? Do we cry out to the Lord for help in the midst of, of, of our, the brokenness of the world? midst of our own sinfulness, and in the midst of a a desire, a deep desire that the Lord would come and save us, finally and completely. 
No longer would God's people have to struggle against sin. No longer would this world be overcome by it. In this time of Advent, do we have hope for a Savior? Does our heart look to heaven and and expect there a Savior to return and to save us in this world from its misery? A sure sign of apostasy, of deep apostasy, is when the church has no heart's cry, when there is no more repentance, when there is no more anticipation, when there is no more expectation of a Savior. The reality of this broken world must cause our hearts to cry out, yes, in repentance, yes, in expectation, and yes, in a desire for change, the change that only God can bring about by His Spirit, the change that is grounded in the work of Jesus Christ, and the change that we hope will one day be complete when our Savior returns from heaven. Brothers and sisters, we too live in a time of expectation. We also live in a time of hope. And as the Lord comes to His people here in Judges 13, He comes in spite of them, but He comes with hope. Despite that disturbing introduction to this time of Samson, the presence of the Lord through His angel brings a real and a tangible hope for the people of God. The grace of God is evident here when He comes and He's going to bring a Redeemer. And He's not just going to bring a Redeemer to anyone. No, He's going to come to a sterile and childless couple. That shows us two things about the Lord. One, He is a God of of love and compassion. He looks upon those who are in that situation and those types of situations who are experiencing some of the brokenness of this world And he comes and he brings them joy, the promise of a child. And it shows us also that the Lord is powerful. In human eyes, this was a childless and sterile couple, but nothing is impossible for God. And he gives to this couple a child, the promise of a child. And he does so through the angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord. You may know that this angel of the Lord is a a special character who shows up in the Old Testament from time to time. And there is a a certain amount of mystery, and this passage only only adds to the mystery and the mystique that surrounds the, the character of this angel of the Lord. Many believe that this angel of the Lord is, in fact, the second person of the Trinity, the one who later will come in the flesh and be given the name Jesus, the Savior of God's people. While others see this angel as a special angel who is very closely connected to the Lord, who represents the Lord, but is not the Lord Himself. It's very difficult to decide between those two options. As you see here, in one way this angel is extremely special. After Manoah and his wife have realized that the angel visited them, they think they're going to die. And you die when you see the Lord. And so they they associate him with the Lord. But at the same time, the angel will not accept their worship because worship belongs to the Lord alone. And so whoever this character is, he is a special character. 
And whatever you think about him, he is extremely closely connected to the Lord. He represents the Lord. As he comes to this couple, he brings the presence of the Lord and he brings the word of the Lord to them. The word of the Lord here brings hope. It brings hope. Because the message that he brings is not only that this this couple is going to have a child, but that this child is going to be a special child. He says this child is to have no fermented drink and not eat anything unclean because this child is going to be a Nazarite. In number six, the Lord had had given the rules about the Nazarite. Someone could become a Nazarite for a limited time. Or as you see here, someone could be be, become a Nazarite from birth. They could live their whole life as a Nazarite. A Nazarite was set apart for God in a special way. And God doesn't even make clear always what that special purpose is. It might be to fulfill a vow. It might be for a, some other special task. But they're set apart for the Lord in a special way. And this child is going to be set apart for the Lord in the most special way. The angel of the Lord comes and says, this child is going to be set apart. And it's from birth. And it's going to be his whole life. This is a special child. The word of the Lord comes through the angel. And hope comes. This is a special, special child. The purpose that this child is to be set apart for is one that doesn't remain a mystery to us, however, because the angel says exactly what this child is going to do In verse 5, he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. The Lord has returned for the sake of his people after 40 years, a whole generation of oppression at the hands of the Philistines who worshipped Dagon, a false god, and other gods as well. The Lord has returned. This child is going to deliver God's people. The intentions of the Lord are made clear. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. A deliverer. A child. For them. As the word of the Lord comes through the angel, and as the Spirit begins to stir, hope comes to God's people. Hope comes to the world. The Lord has returned to His people. The Lord is going to call them back to Him. Brothers and sisters, when the Word of God comes to the world, and when the Spirit of God stirs, there is hope. The Word of God is a message of good news. It's a message of a child who will bring light to a people who walk in darkness. A special child. A child who came in the flesh, our flesh, to save our flesh. The word of the Lord brings that message and the spirit of the Lord brings that message to our hearts and the spirit of the Lord sends that message out to the whole world. It's a message of hope. It's a time of hope. When the word and the spirit of God work together, we live in much hope. We know that the Lord is working faith, redemption, and change in the lives of men. We know that Jesus Christ is working powerfully. This is what was promised as the angel of the Lord came to Manoah and his wife. The message of a child, a savior, 
that he would deliver God's people. It's a time of bright hope. But we need to look carefully at the story and see that even though there is a powerful message of hope, there is also a sense of disappointment. And we see that when we look at the human element of this narrative. As you look at Manoah, especially, and as you consider what Samson will, in fact, go on to do, you cannot but have a sense of disappointment at the weakness of man. It's present in this very person of Manoah. Now, Manoah, I'm sure you know, is a word that means rest. And so this man has, has a name that means rest. And, and is that name significant? We don't know. But there is one thing about this man. He doesn't seem to be a restful kind of guy. He doesn't seem to be a guy who's resting in the, the presence of the Lord and the word of the Lord. He, he sort of seems rash. He's always jumping to conclusions. He needs his wife to, to support him and to correct him every time. He's agitated. He's not exactly a picture of rest in the Lord. And he's a man who, who doesn't really listen to his wife and doesn't listen to the message that the word, that the angel of the Lord brings to his wife. Now, the Lord is very patient with this man. In verses 6 and 7, after hearing the message from the angel about this this son and how he is to live, then then she comes, and and very faithfully, you can see it right there, she tells Manoah what the angel had said to her, in very clear terms. And so it should all be clear to him. But then immediately, Manoah prays, O Lord, let let the man come to us again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Well, the Lord had already told him how the Lord, how the boy was to be brought up. But Manoah doesn't, doesn't trust. He doesn't believe. He doesn't know. And so he asks the Lord to come again. And the Lord is patient. And he sends his angel a second time to bring the message. And the substance of what the angel says is no different than the first time. And from that, we are to understand that Manoah was supposed to get the message the first time. But the Lord is patient with weakness, and he will work through it. But also, Manoah's interactions with the angel are are less than profound. He asked this question in verse 11, but you have to set it up a little bit. The angel of the Lord has come to his wife with this amazing message, and he hears it, and rather than rejoicing in the Lord, he says, Lord, I need to hear the message too. And then the angel comes, and the woman says, well, the same man who was here the other day is back again, and he's given me the message. And then in verse 11, Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, Are you the one who talked to my wife? Now, given the, the weight, the profoundness of the events that, are, that have happened, this is not exactly an insightful, profound question. The man simply answers, I am. And then immediately after the angel has told him to offer sacrifices to, to the Lord and not to him, then Manoah asks him, well, tell us your name so that we can honor you after your words come true. This just after the angel had said, don't honor me, don't worship me. Manoah seems to continue to want to do that. 
And through the whole narrative, Manoah does not recognize who this angel of the Lord is. And that is not something in God's word in the rest of scripture that's always a sign of sinfulness. But it certainly is a sign of weakness and and blindness. There's a theme running throughout scripture of, of seeing and recognizing God. And that being reserved for the spiritually mature. While the spiritually weak and misguided fail to see God and fail to understand the messengers of God. Think only of Balaam and his donkey. His donkey, who is shown to be more wise than Balaam himself, after the donkey recognizes the angel, but the man doesn't. And finally, the one last thing that shows us something of the weakness and begins to to put in our hearts a bit of disappointment about this character Manoah and what the future holds for him and his child is that after he realizes that they have seen the angel of the Lord. He collapses in a heap in verse 22. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But then his wife very plainly and matter-of-factly sets him straight and says, if the Lord intended us to die, he would not have given us this message in the first place. And so Manoah is not the sort of person who inspires us with confidence. In contrast with Manoah is his wife, His wife, who is a picture of piety and wisdom and grace. The Lord sends the angel to her because she will understand and she will act on it. And this also teaches us two important things. The first is that the Lord values and recognizes the spiritual maturity of women. The scripture is also full of that theme of the Lord using women in a special way. In this book as well, Deborah the judge, the Lord used her in a special way. The Lord was not afraid to use women in a special way. And women often showed more maturity and wisdom and insight than their male counterparts, than their husbands or the other judges and leaders of their time. The Lord teaches us that he values that and he uses that. The other thing that this teaches is an indictment against the men of Israel at this time. The Lord values women. The Lord uses women. But there's always a critique when the Lord must, in a sense, use a woman rather than a man. When, when no man is up for the job. And it's only the woman who can deliver for the Lord in those circumstances. For us men, we are to hear, hear a critique. And it's a call for obedience. It's a call for faithfulness. And it's a call to serve the Lord faithfully, or else the Lord will use woman to carry out his task. The Lord calls us each in our gender to serve in different ways. The Lord calls men to lead, to act. But if the men are not up for the task, the Lord will still do his work. And he will use a woman For that, as he does here, and as he shows here with this wife of Manoah. And so this doesn't bear too well on the character of Manoah. It also doesn't, is also a further picture of the time of the judges in which we live. And it doesn't build confidence in what is going to happen as a son is going to be born. And as we'll see, this son himself is one who's characterized by weakness and who gives himself over to the woman in his life. He doesn't have control of himself when he's around the woman. He's a savior who rules through bouts of, of apathy and overaggression. That's the person of Samson. 
He's characterized by a very strong body, but a rather weak mind. He seems to spend more time carousing with the Philistines than he does in saving Israelites from them. And he has an over, overpowering weakness for women. As you look into this narrative and as you consider the larger picture, you can be disappointed. And if you want to be disappointed, then please look at the human element going on here in this text. If you want to be disappointed at any time, consider the human element of what is going on. Consider how men and women act in weakness. Consider how weak leaders are. Consider the unfaithfulness of God's people. In the time before Jesus Christ returns, where are we looking for our hope? Are we looking to humans? Are we looking at the human element? Is that where our gaze is? Is that where we're trying to find our hope? Do we see our child as a young baby? Do we see some student in school? And do we put our hope in them only to be disappointed? Does our eye fall upon the depressing human elements of life? The Spirit of God is teaching us in this story that we need to look elsewhere. There's only one solution for the bungling and blindness and banality that Manoah displays. There's only one solution for the sinful human element, and that is to look to the one who became human to redeem us from our sinfulness. The Lord Jesus, the Father in heaven, sent his Son into the world to become a human, to save us from our humanness. Jesus Christ is our own flesh and blood. He is, he is in fact the most human element, yet without the weakness and sin, the bungling and the blindness. You can look to the human element and become discouraged. When you put your trust in the human element, you will be discouraged. Only in the person of Jesus Christ do we have hope. Hope for what he has done for us in the past as he's redeemed humanity by his death on the cross. Hope for us in the future as he renews our humanity to become more like himself. And hope for the future when he will finally and completely renew us that we will be in every way a new creation, a new humanity, new people. Not characterized by weakness, but characterized by God's own glory. The disappointment causes us to look for the hope that God gives. And God gives that hope in abundance in this narrative. In spite of the depressing picture of Samson on the one hand, we can see God's grace in this story, in this narrative, in this time of God's people. If we don't do that, we will miss the point of the whole narrative. We need to see the grace of God shining through and see the shadow of Jesus Christ cast on this passage. The reality of Samson's life, though he was weak, though misguided, though bad intentioned, though self-motivated, though disobedient many times, is that he was the God-appointed judge of Israel and that he did deliver God's people from the Philistines. The Philistines were oppressing Israel. 
And God used Samson to bring God's vengeance and punishment on the Philistines, and he lightened the yoke of the Israelites. And consider what the angel himself said. He didn't say, this is going to be the savior of all saviors. This is going to be the end of all saviors. No, the angel said to Manoah's wife, he is going to begin to save. Everything wasn't on the shoulders of Samson. He was going to begin a deliverance that God would continue through Israel's history until from his own people he would bring a savior who was the savior of all saviors. His role, Samson's role, was a beginning role. He's just like John the Baptist, whose birth story is very similar in a lot of ways to this one. He was simply a forerunner. He's to point us ahead to Jesus Christ in his weakness and in the grace of God present in his life. The salvation that God would begin to work then would not shine in its clear light for many, many years until the time when God would send his own son as a savior, a man who was up for the task, a man who could do the job. God sent his son to become a man to save a humanity that had turned his back on him. God sent his son to become like you, to save you from the sin and weakness that characterizes you. And that son, having died for our sin and and raised for our justification, is now at the right hand of God. He's now at the right hand of God. Our own flesh and blood is there. He's there as a deposit that we will one day Go there to be with Him. And He is there in anticipation that He will one day return to bring salvation totally and completely when we will no longer have any sinful human element, but we will only have the perfection and glory of God characterizing all of our lives, all of our relationships, all of our world in every way. That's the hope. That's the salvation that God brings through His Son. When you look at your child, you look at another child, whether they're still in diapers, whether they're 30 or 40 years old, you still wonder about them, you have concerns about them, you don't know what the Lord has in store for them. When you look at them in pain and and worry, do you see them rebelling? As you see them turning their back on the Lord, you can be led to disappointment. You can even be led to despair. But God urges us at every time, in times of disappointment, in times of despair, not to look there. Not to look to our children to determine the future, but to look to the child who already has determined the future. That is, there is a child who has already grown up and already accomplished everything that the Lord gave him to do. He didn't fail in anything. He didn't rebel in any way. Put your trust in him. Through his life and even the death of this child, God has forgiven your sins. God has provided a way out for your child who rebels. And God has equipped you to glorify Him even in your weakness, even as you struggle. He has done all of this through His child, His Son, the Son who now reigns with Him in glory. Look to Jesus Christ and find hope in Him. Amen. 
This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.